If you've picked up a copy of the Star News on Christmas Eve any time in the last 38 years, chances are you've read about the Christmas flounder. Even if you've not read about the Christmas flounder in the pages of the Star News, or in more recent years on our website, you might have seen it as a special at a local restaurant, or seen a recipe for it somewhere out there on the interwebs. So the legend goes, the Christmas flounder tradition started back during the Great Depression, when cash poor, Wilmington-area fishermen subbed in the fresh, free fish instead of expensive store-bought turkeys and hams at their holiday tables. After being born of necessity, the Christmas fish dinner caught on and became an annual tradition specific to southeastern North Carolina. The The only problem with that legend is that, well, we'll get to that in a minute. This is Cape Fear Unearthed, the podcast exploring the legends, historical oddities, and landmark stories of southeastern North Carolina. I'm your host, John Staten, and I'm a reporter with the Star News here in Wilmington. We're a Gannett paper that's part of the USA Today network. The first time the story of the Christmas flounder appeared, wrapped within the pages of the Star News, was back in 1983. In reality, though, the story was most likely born many years before that, in the mind of the late Star News reporter and columnist Paul Genowine. Genowine, who started the paper in 1946, retired in 1984, and passed away in the year 2000. It was Genowine's conversations with former Star News editorial page editor Chuck Rees that inspired Rees, no doubt besieged by holiday deadlines and trying to fill many days' worth of papers in a short week, to write that first editorial about the Christmas flounder. And so it went, the story running each Christmas Eve on the editorial page, growing more legendary by the year. By the time the digital age arrived in the early 2000s, the Christmas flounder had spilled from the editorial page, spawning stories in the food and lifestyle sections. We've solicited Christmas flounder recipes from the community and asked local chefs to come up with their own concoctions, which they have. Other publications hilariously have written about their Christmas flounder as if it were gospel truth, and eventually the legend spread statewide. All that said, the origins and ultimately the truth of the Christmas flounder are murky at best. What it comes down to is this, great legends never die. Here with me today to talk about the past and the future of the Christmas flounder is Star News food writer Allison Ballard. Allison was one of the first writers to introduce the Christmas flounder to the wider Wilmington community back in 2004. Okay, so I'm here with Star News reporter, food writer Allison Ballard. Allison, thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, and you've been, so you've been with the Star News off and on since 1999, right? That's right. Okay, and you've written about, you've written about a lot of the same stuff, food, film, um, I was a food editor once. You are the, been the food writer for a while. Yeah, I think most recently for a couple years. Okay. Well, when, tell me, take me back. When was the first time I started the paper in two thousand four? So you were there mm-hmm. a little before me. But what was the first time you remember hearing about the Christmas flounder? So I definitely remember hearing about it in the features department. Yeah. You know, back at our other location. Um, I know that we tried to run the editorial every year. And I think the first time I really had to take on the legend of the Christmas flounder myself was when I was tasked to write about it in 2004. Yeah, so we went back in the archives and found an article that you wrote in 2004 about the Christmas flounder. Let's first, though, let's back up a little bit and talk about the whole legend of the Christmas flounder. I guess I must have remembered reading it when, I mean, I grew up in Wilmington in the 80s. I was in junior high and high school here. I think the first time we ran it in the paper on Christmas Eve was in 1983, so I would have been 13. Maybe I read it that year. Who knows? But it ran, you know, every Christmas Eve for um, 
it's run every Christmas Eve on the editorial page since then. And um, well, what's interesting to me is that it just kind of sprang out of this, you know, newsroom tradition of getting a bunch of stuff done before the holidays when you don't have a lot of time. And you back in those days, you had a lot of papers to fill, right? Because we were closed right. for a certain number of days. So it was like, okay, now you got to do instead of you know you have to do these certain number of pages. And I assume that backed up the editorial department, who was which was run by Chuck Rees at that time. And Chuck's thoughts, I assume, turned to some stories by his colleague, Paul Genowine, who had talked for years. Paul apparently got hired at the paper in 1946 and retired in 84. Um, and apparently Paul had talked about the Christmas flounder for a lot of years, and Chuck kind of picked up on that and wrote a story or an editorial, you know, Back in those days, they'd run fun little editorials, you know, like alongside the serious ones. And Slow news day. There's not a lot happening editorial-wise. Exactly. So, and so, we, so Chuck wrote the story of the Christmas flounder, and it became, I don't know, it was ever intended to run more than one year. It probably wasn't. That's a good question. <laughs> but, because, okay, so what I found in the first year, the headline was something silly like, you'll find this traditional or something like that. But then after that, the headline's always been floundering in tradition. Mm-hmm which it has been every year since then. So it's just fun to me that it was kind of this little maybe inside joke of the editorial department for so long, and then it kind of grew out of the, you know, over spilled the banks, as it were, of the editorial <laughs> department into the other parts of the paper. Right? That's it. Like, I think that was how it first came to me. Yeah. Like, we have this Christmas lounger. Can you do something with this, Allison? <laughs> why, why, sure, I will do my best. I, I love that we were... <laughs> Back in the day, just assigning us stories about ourselves. Um, but, and then, so, well, then, okay, then what is really cool is that then it kind of grew out of the newsroom, right? It became almost like a local tradition. I think for your 2004 story, you may have been the first person that actually got someone to make a Christmas flounder. Maybe so, yes. Right? Kind of imagine what the meal would be if yeah. you had a Christmas flounder. I think the legend, Paul Genowine's legend, yeah. you know, was that it was stuffed with other Locally right. sourced ingredients. That's um, the source material we have to has to be stuck. Right. Crab and grits and other seafood. Um, some collards, although that might be an interesting thing to find out when collards entered the picture. But um, Well, collards is in, the, is, is in the original editorial, which I can see it just kind of chopped up. It would, mm-hmm. it would work, right? Chiffonade. Yeah, there you go. And then you, had, and then you paired it with like a sweet potato? Yes, so to make a... Fully, you know, festive local meal. Yeah. You have this huge flounder stuffed with a bunch of cool local stuff. Add a wreath of sweet potatoes, a chocolate chest pie. I'm sure that was my own addition. Yeah, well, absolutely. it is my favorite southern <laughs> pie. Right. Well, no, that sounds like and that sounds like a fantastic Christmas meal. And just kind of the, you know, one reason I think, and other people have talked about why this quote unquote legend caught on was that it was the idea was like oh there during the depression people couldn't afford a turkey people couldn't afford ham they couldn't afford anything store-bought so what did they do they went out to the sound they caught a flounder they made their christmas meal yeah and um i think uh but yet other chefs i mean over the years we've gotten other chefs readers have sent in recipes right yes of the christmas flounder um ken blevins our photographer one of our photographers uh, has a recipe for Christmas flounder on the um, Federal Point um, Historic Sites website. Probably so, a good one to try. Absolutely. No, there's a picture in the archives of Ken's stuff. Flounder looks fantastic. And who are some of the other people that have made I think Christmas flounder over the years? Keith Rhodes. We've talked yeah. to him about the Christmas yeah. flounder. Jessica Cabo at um, 
East at Blockade Runner has yeah. talked about it. I'm sure there are others. I know that local foodie Michael Goins is yes. he's a proponent of the Christmas flounder. Absolutely. And I mean, yeah, I just think it's like, a, and then it became, even as it became a local thing, it became more than a local thing, right? right. Because um, our, our former colleague, Paul, um, Paul Stephen, who was also a food writer here for many years, um, he wrote about, uh, well, at some point, the editorial got picked up by the Charlotte Observer, which ran it for at least one year. Um, and Paul picked up on that, and Paul wrote a story for us in, I want to say, 2014 or so, about a Christmas flounder. And Paul struggles to kind of reconcile his journalistic ethics with the, you know, perhaps fanciful story of the Christmas flounder. I will um, say that my article is sort of tongue-in-cheek. Like, yes. we, right. you know, we don't know how true this is, but it's Paul always- really lays it out, like, Right, and well, that's the thing, and and apparently, and 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 then Paul Stephen, not to be confused with Paul Genowine, who (laughs) kind of is the uh, flound father, I guess, of all this, um, (laughs) of all this foolishness, um, wrote a story for Our State Magazine. You know, beautiful, the North Carolina Our State Magazine goes out to God knows how many thousands of. North Carolina households every month. He wrote the kind of the definitive story to me of the Christmas flounder, talking about even in Paul Genuine's obituary from 2000, his wife basically said, "Well, technically he made it up, <laughs> but but but, but there is some truth in the fact that she recalls they were driving somewhere and he saw it. There was some fishermen out, you know, Christmas. It was Christmas Eve. Oh, they're getting their Christmas flounder. Sure." So, and it's Chuck Rees, our former colleague and editorial page editor, who said, you know, you got Santa Claus, you got Elf on the Shelf. I mean, Christmas Flounder is certainly as plausible as any of that, right? Absolutely. And it is, you know, it's a time of year when I think, you know, depending on the species of flounder, you could go out and go gigging, and it makes perfect sense. Right. Well, and there were some, like, I mean, and, and local flounder is served all over the place. I mean, I got a full flounder from something fishy not too long ago. I mean, you can get it at, you know... Oh, yeah. Yeah, you know, Fish House Grill on, uh, you know, uh, Early Road, all over all over this place. I would say that crab stuff flounder yeah. is is a classic dish that you can find at a lot of local seafood restaurants. Absolutely. So, you know, whether it's an official Christmas flounder or not, you can go get some flounder tonight if you want to. Agreed. Um, yeah, and then, yeah, I mean, I just love this idea of it being like a... Kind of become a foundational story for our area if that's not putting it in too grand of terms i mean it's um you know i love the idea that something that's not technically true can become true in its own way sure. you know yeah um i don't know what do you think do you think uh is that uh maybe giving us too much credit or um or what i don't think so i think it makes like you said it makes a lot of sense it makes sense that in fact, I think this is something that more people should take on, that we should have more Christmas flounder because Absolutely. this idea of local food, local eating, locally sourced holiday traditions, I think, is a great... There you go. Nowhere else in the world has a Christmas flounder. Only Wilmington, right? <laughs> no, I, I mean, I just love the idea, like you said, you know, grew out of this kind of, you know, hectic newsroom culture, kind of a little bit playful, you know, I think... Paul Genoine probably loved the idea that he was kind of, you know, putting one across on his editors at the time. And then it kind of grew into a thing, and Chuck Reese picked up on that. Chuck Reese, who's a very serious guy, but and a very smart guy, 
but also a very playful guy. And sure, you know, he loved that too. I mean, I went and saw the uh, um, the Paris Dispatch at uh, Thalian Hall at Cimitique the other night, and there's this whole thing about this playful journalistic culture of you know truth being a little malleable. But I mean, you know, just like any great fiction is made up, but you're you're supposed to be getting at the truth, right? It always rings like if it resonates with you, it usually rings right, rings true. Absolutely, and so yeah, and I just love how kind of Paul, you know, Paul Stephen, have to really give him credit for kind of doing the definitive, you know, yes. expose is the right word. But um, you know, it's been written about many times over the years, and I mean, um, Ashley Morris, who was another Star News food writer, I think she wrote about it most recently in um, twenty eighteen. But yeah, you go back to uh, so, so some things I've read talk about, you know, maybe goes back to the fifties. I'm not sure if when Paul Genoan this story up um, or he may have written something about it that appeared somewhere I don't know but as far as the editorial that we know is the Christmas Flounder editorial that ran um, for the first time as far as I can tell in 1983 which is almost 40 years ago right and it was really kind of this and it only ran on the editorial page in print once a year for um, for many years and I feel like it was kind of like this trans shifted digital maybe which was happening in the early 2000s you know when we both started at the paper I don't know I feel like something about that made it kind of made the legend grow I don't know well and I think people definitely miss it when it was not there for yeah. some reason I you know I'm not sure how many years were skipped in the early days but yeah. I know most recently we hear about it and yeah if it's not you know not a part of it's definitely a part of local Newspaper readers' holiday traditions. For, no, no, absolutely. And other papers have this. Like the Greensboro paper, they used to run, you know, O'Henry's from Greensboro, and they would run the gift of the Magi every uh, Christmas Eve or Christmas Day, or I think Christmas Eve, which is a pretty long story, and it'd fill up a. You know, I mean, I can see why that would. I mean, like, like how they're doing that, because it fills up quite a bit of space. The Christmas flounder is very much shorter. But it's, um, but like I said, it's run, it, it ran every New Year's Eve. I'm sorry, Christmas Eve from the early 80s, and I don't, it may have skipped a year. I, I feel like we may have skipped last year in print. I, I right. could be wrong, but it will definitely, I've, I've been told, I've talked to multiple people, it will definitely be in print this Christmas Eve. So go out and get your um If you're unfamiliar copy. with the Christmas flounder legend. Absolutely. And you know what? And just to kind of end this kind of short but sweet podcast, me and Allison, you know, we're, we, we've been talking so much about the Christmas flounder, but... Um, we wanted to kind of end it, you know, give you guys an idea. If, you, if you're not going to get the Star newspaper that day, well, we're going to read it for you right now. What do you think about that? I think I think that sounds great. Is this the first audio recording of the Christmas Oh, my Friday? God, I hope so. <laughs> it absolutely must. It's going to be, yes. So thank you, Allison, for um, bringing that up. But, yes, uh, this may be the first time of rec- an, an audio recording has been made story of the Christmas flounder, which I will start, and uh, I can't guarantee, there might be a little bit of, you know, commentary, we'll call it, in between, uh, but please forgive us for that, so. So the, so the editorial starts with a quote from Anonymous, which, okay, it starts out like this. "'Twas the night before Christmas, and all through the sound, not a creature was stirring, not even a flound, er." If there is an old-timer in your house today, he probably is not reminiscing about the grand old tradition of the Christmas flounder. It is practically forgotten. The 
Christmas flounder is a yuletide custom unknown outside southeastern North Carolina, according to Paul Genowine, the late veteran newsman who was the world's only authority on the matter. As is the case with many traditions, the origin of the Christmas flounder is obscured in the mist of memory. But according to Mr. Genowine, it apparently began during the Great Depression, when people in the area were even poorer than usual. Buying and stuffing a turkey for Christmas was out of the question for many. Something else was needed, something that poor folks could procure in the days before food stamps. And so it came about that one Christmas Eve, in the reign of Franklin the King for, of four terms, the merry glow of kerosene lanterns and, for those who could afford the Rayovacs, flashlights gleamed over the waters of the sounds. Westward waiting, still proceeding, went wise men who knew that dull-witted fish would be sleeping in the mud at that time of night. Suddenly, the sharp splash of steely gigs shattered the starry stillness. Some alliteration there. Next day, the unfortunate flounders, lovingly stuffed with native delicacies such as oysters, crabs, collards, and grits, graced Christmas tables all over the area. Non-Baptists who knew a reliable bootlegger accompanied the humble dish with a jelly glass of high-octane cheer. It was a tradition born of hardship, but it's unique and deserves to be, rem to be remembered as part of the folklore of the Lower Cape Fear, which it absolutely is. Absolutely. And then it ends with an end note. This piece was composed by former editorial page editor Chuck Rees from tales told by late star news reporter and columnist Paul Genoine. It's reprinted every Christmas Eve in an effort to keep this grand tradition alive, which I am happy to contribute to. Same. And, and we're speaking also about, you know, just newspapers and Christmas, and, you know, there's the whole, you know, yes, Virginia, there is a Santa Claus, and I think Paul, Stephen, I have to give him credit for it. Yes, Wilmington, there is a Christmas flounder, so we maybe should end with that. Allison, thank you so much for being oh, here talking fun. about the Christmas flounder. Thank you so much. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas to you. And that's it for this episode of Cape Fear on Earth and our look at the history of the Christmas flounder, as it were. We'll be back soon with another chapter of Wilmington History. Till then, make sure you're a member of our Facebook group where listeners can ask questions about our episodes and share their memories of the region's history. In that group, I will post extra content from each episode. This time, I might even post a few links to Christmas flounder recipes. You can find the group by searching Cape Fear on Earth on Facebook. Also, don't forget to sign up for the Cape Fear on Earth newsletter that goes out every Thursday. Sign up for the newsletter at starnewsonline.com newsletters. Cape Fear on Earth was written, edited, and hosted by yours truly, John Staten. You can find more of my work at starnewsonline.com. Additional editing for this podcast is done by Adam Fish. This podcast was made possible by listeners and readers like you. Support local journalism and Cape Fear on Earth by subscribing to Star News today at starnewsonline.com slash subscribe. And while you're subscribing to things, be sure to subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you stream the show so you'll never miss an episode. While you're there, leave us a review, which will help more people find Cape Fear and Earth. Till then, get out and explore the Cape Fear region on your own. You never know what you might unearth.